My friend George recently told me a story about a little boy who walked into a diner. And he looked down at his monies <laughs> that he had saved. And he walked up to the counter. And the waitress thought he was just a cute little guy coming in. And so she, you know, she comes on up to him and says, you know, what can I grab for you? And he says, how, mu how much for two scoops of ice cream? And she responds, two scoops, one dollar. Two scoops is one dollar. And he looks down at his money. How much for one scoop of uh, ice cream? <laughs> she responds, one scoop is 75 cents. And he, I'll take one scoop. She kind of chuckles, goes back and grabs the ice cream and brings it out and watches him enjoy it. And she even takes delight in him enjoying his single 75-cent scoop of ice cream. Brings him the bill. He gets his money, sets it down, and walks out. To which she walks up to the money and, you know, grabs it and counts it out and finds. He left a dollar. He could have bought two scoops. But he thought of her and left her a 25 cent tip. I want to live like that. Don't you? In our culture that screams, get what you can. This way of living is very counterintuitive, isn't it? And that's why it's included in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. When he takes a look at all aspects of life, he spends the first half of chapter 6 looking at inward things that we do that maybe no one else sees. And then spends the second half looking at how we live our lives. And in this chunk, he specifically addresses how we use our money. Turn with me if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. I hope you're excited. Are you church? I know. I know. Me too. Here we go. Jesus says this. If you want to hear Jesus' opinion on money, it's this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's three movements in this text. First, he talks about two different treasures. Then he talks about two different eyes. And lastly, he talks about two different masters. And we'll walk through it together and see. And I'm coming here expectant because we were just praying backstage, a dear friend of mine. And I'm going to tell you what we prayed. So I hope you can come expectant too. We prayed 
that people would become set free because money, money has become a bondage. Do you think about money a lot? Me too. So let's see how Jesus' words can collide in our lives. And if the Holy Spirit so chooses and we are so open that we might be free from bondage. Are you in? Beautiful. Because in verse 19 is where we're going to start. We talk about treasures. And he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures. What is treasure? Treasure is really anything that we value. It's the accumulation. Storing up for yourselves treasures is the accumulation of what you find to be valuable. And he says, don't store up, don't, don't value just the things on earth. And back then, the things he was referring to, to the audience he was referring to, is where they found their earthly treasure was in predominantly three things. They found it in grain, they found it in precious metals, and they found it in really expensive clothes. <laughs> Crazy, right? <laughs> expensive food. Things made out of metal. <laughs> and fancy clothes. He goes, don't store for yourselves treasures there, which makes sense of why he goes, where moths and vermin destroy. Why? Because they didn't have safety deposit boxes then. They didn't have banks that they could go drop it off and it would feel safe there. He says, no, 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 have you noticed how worried you are about your stuff? See, if, if where you're storing up your treasures is here on earth, you have to worry about things like moths and vermin destroying where thieves break in and steal. So rather, he gives them this, rather, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Things and treasures that are in heaven are eternal. They last. And if you're thinking, what are those things? It's anything that lasts beyond the grave. It's relationships. It's kingdom work. Store up for yourselves there, and he talks about safety and security, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, in this context, Jesus is specifically addressing where we spend our finances. He gets real specific. Jesus is not nervous about hot topics. Here's why. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The direction of your money reveals your devotion. I'd argue to say, I don't think anything in the world reveals your heart more than how you spend your money. I jumped into this and started to really study it. And then I looked at my bank account and the last 10 things I purchased. (laughs) And if this is true, then that revealed a lot about me recently. It revealed a lot about my heart. I love the way Andy Stanley simplifies it. He says this, that really there's only five ways you can spend your money. Five. And here's the five that he lists. He says, number one, you can spend it. That's kind of fun, isn't it? Are we not being honest here in church today? The second way that we can do, uh, after we spend it, we can repay debts. Some of us, a lot of them, if the stats are true from last week with Dave, right? Number three thing that we can do, we can pay taxes, and we should. Some of you are, your heart is beating because you're realizing it is that season. Number four, we have save it, good for you. And then number five, give it. And typically, that's the order in which we do it. 
That's the way it was inherited in our culture. Just this is the way that you spend your money. And what this is really is, let's look at the list a different way. Let's look through this list and look at who it's for. So when we spend it, predominantly that's for me, okay? When I repay debts, that's to take care of, hold on, me. Uh, When I pay my taxes, it's so that I don't get in trouble, me. Then when I save it, it's like, okay, for my future, I can find security, me. And then five, God and others. What that's referred to, Andy Stanley says, is me first giving, or me first living with leftover giving. And that's normal. That's just expected. That's the way that it is. And with that in mind, with Jesus' words, I want you to hear them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No wonder we think about ourselves so often. No wonder anxiety is such a problem. No wonder Jesus teaches on worry next. The very next chunk after this is the worry piece. And what is he talking about? Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about food. All the things that they use their money on. Jesus knows our heart. And of all the sermons that he preaches on money, I find it really interesting that he never asks for any. Ever. But do you know what he's always after and what he always asks for? All of your heart. And that's what I love about this series, is that we can see that something our heart is so tied to that it's such kind of this uncomfortable topic. She goes, I'm going to address that one because that one really is revealing your heart. And I care a lot about your heart. And as I started studying this passage... I was made aware real fast that I think about money a lot. I took some time to be with the Lord and (laughs) I said, what's my relationship with money been my whole life? And I could actually remember a time when money wasn't a big thought. It was really early on in ministry for me. I remember I worked at a Christian camp and I had this partner in ministry and we would do this sign to each other. Whenever it was a tough moment, we'd go like this. Now only he and I knew what this meant. It was, we got paid a certain amount, but then they took out money for the housing allowance and then they took out money for our food that we, that we had to pay for when we lived on the camp. <laughs> and so what this meant is 131, because when we did the math and the fact that we worked like 14 hours a day, we made $1.31 an hour. And so when the moment got tough, we'd go, it's worth it. It's worth it. Obviously, we're joking, but it was worth it. I worked there for six summers because I loved it. And I didn't care. And it was so freeing. I remember when I would work at this Christian camp, and there was a bunch of high school students, and I remember the girl, I remember one one, uh, female youth leader came up to me, and she's like, okay, so we're going to be doing this all night, or can you speak at it? And I'm like, I'm in. She's like, okay, your speaking slot is (laughs) 2.30. I'm like, sounds great. What do you want me to share? You know what she gave me? Uh, it, was, it wasn't even a gift card to Chick-fil-A. It was a, a chicken sandwich card. Just the sandwich. <laughs> and the best part, when I went to use it, it was expired. <laughs> I went back in my emails to begin to look and when things began to change, and I found the date. January 7th, 2008. I spoke at my alma mater, the high school that I went to, gave a chapel, and they handed me this envelope and said, here's your honorarium. (laughs) I didn't even know what that meant. 
but I hoped it was a gift card. And I opened it, and it was my first honorarium check for speaking for $50. <laughs> it's worth it. I couldn't believe it. You get paid for this? And then I remember getting married, and I remember my husband and I sitting down and starting. He was really good with the money, and he, we sat down and looked at what I was doing in life, and at the time I was waitressing, my early 20s, I was waitressing so that I could do ministry. And so I'd open a restaurant at five in the morning and then I'd leave at one to go do my ministry stuff. And he did all the math and he goes, I'm okay with it. But just so you know, you're actually losing money every year. <laughs> you're working as a waitress to pay for being a minister of the gospel. He goes, and I love that about you. But do you want to do something else? <laughs> we laughed and I kept doing it. Because it didn't matter to me. I can't believe I have to humbly stand before you and go like, and then it started to matter to me. And suddenly I started thinking about it a lot. And then suddenly I began to make decisions regarding it. Anyone else? What gets your time? What gets your attention? What gets your heart? What gets your devotion? What gives you money? It's only natural. And as I began to sit there and think about it, I just wanted to ask you an honest question. Do you really think about money a lot too? Jesus has a different, a different word, a different way. And that's really what he's talking about the entire Sermon on the Mount is flipping everything upside down. See, here's the truth. I never knew Dave's truth from last week. Remember the main point that all money is God's? I didn't actually know that when money became a problem for me. And what I mean by problem is it just began, began to be something I thought about a lot. And I didn't even know it was a problem. It's so sneaky. I didn't understand that it was God's. See, for me, it's a lot easier for me to pray or give God my future because I really know I'm not in control of that, right? I can even ease, it's easier for me to give God my kids because I do, when I think about it, I really do know that he's in control of them and their future. But money, that's something I earned. That's mine. And I didn't know how hard it was to give away. And since we've been journeying together in this life, when my husband passed a year ago, two months later, it was in April, that I went on a walk in the same place that I did ministry, that I still do ministry five times a year. And I went on a walk and I realized, okay, what's my biggest source? Lord, would you search my heart? What's, what, where's my anxiety? i actually sensing anxiety in me. And he brought to mind last April, two months after, money was scary for me. And I remember the walk because it was, he didn't uncover it just to leave me uncomfortable. He uncovered it to go, there's another way. And th there was a distinct moment. And I remember where I was when I walked and I went, I'm going to just fully trust you with it. And it was a powerful moment. I started thinking about it less. I felt, started feeling free. It was a humbling process. But I found myself starting to worry a lot less about it. And to be honest with you, I wish I could say, and then I was forever free from that date in April. And the truth is, suddenly I open up Matthew and I allow God to search my heart through this passage. And I realize, ah, it's still there. <laughs> it's getting better though. There's, there's a lot of hope. But it's still there. See, because I wish April was the end. But the truth is, in studying this passage, I came to realize two things when it comes to money. Number one, it's really powerful. And there's also a whole lot of potential, but it goes one of two ways. 
The power and the potential will either destroy me and keep me worried, or it has power and potential to do radical things for the kingdom. And we get to choose. Because either way, the truth is, it is powerful and has a lot of potential. And it can either destroy us and keep us serving it, think of the postures from last week, bowing down to it, worshiping it, or it can free us to use it in a meaningful way. When money becomes a means, that's how it becomes meaningful. Anything that has a means that's an end beside you is when anything can become meaningful. Because, of course, we know money is not bad. Scripture's right. It doesn't say that money is bad. It's the love of money. And so Jesus' advice in in Matthew chapter 6 is what to do with it? Invest heavenly. Because when you invest it heavenly, it affects your entire life. And your heart follows. I was giving the gospel recently on video to a group of people who were experiencing grief. In this season, I've been asked a few times to speak on grief, and I've actually said no because I feel like I'm not in a place to be able to share about that or teach in a great way. I'm simply just experiencing it. And I was asked, though, to speak to a group of people who were either about to lose someone in their family or had lost. And I was nervous, like, do I do this one? And then I, and then I said yes, and I set up the video camera just to share this, this message about the gospel, and I found myself nervous again. Now, I know it has nothing to do with finances, but for me, doing this, I started to feel nervous about a lot of things. How was it going to be received? Were people, before they passed, going to be able to find the truth? And I started feeling this unhealthy pressure. And anytime I feel that pressure, I know it's not from the Lord. So I went, and what I did is I sat there, and here's what I did. Because Jesus says, invest heavenly, because then your heart will be heavenly. So my mind goes, I want to even consider heavenly. So right before I gave this gospel message, I sat there, and I went, I wonder what my husband, who's in heaven, would, would think about this moment. And as I considered it, this is what I was thinking. I'm like, what would he say? Experiencing heaven. He'd go like this. Oh, get him here. It's so good. Get him here. And you know what I stopped caring about? How I was going to be perceived. What a waste of time. What a waste. This is probably the best gospel message I've ever given. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, sure. See, because when you think, when you invest heavenly, your heart goes there. And when your heart is considering on your mind, when you're focused, when your devotion is towards heaven, it changes how you live in the now. How do I know? Did anyone else ever watch the television show 24? Anyone watch 24? If you did, just make a shout real fast. 24, anyone? Okay, good, good, good. Okay, okay, good. Uh, If you haven't watched it, I'll do a quick little so you make sense. So basically, it's about the counter-terrorist unit, a guy named Jack Bauer. He's basically why we're all still here. And, am I right? So he basically finds out about, like, something terrible that's going to happen in terrorism, and then he, like, saves the day. Literal day, because it's 24 hours. 20, so they go through 24 hours. The entire season is one day, and how Jack saves the day. Huh, it's the best show, right? Someone hands me the DVD series in college, and they're like, you have to. Okay, so, like, Jack Bauer just signed a contract for, like, three more seasons. It's the best. We can all watch it together Monday nights, remember? And so... Am I the only one that had parties Monday nights? Yeah, and, but they handed me the DVD first. And I invited some friends over and we started to watch the DVD. And I remember one time watching it, I was really into the show. And there's the moment that he's outside and all the terrorists are on the inside of the building and he's on the thing calling CTU counter-terrorist. And he's like, ah. wait, let me do it this way. Ah. 
I need backup. And then backup's like, we'll be there in 10. And he's like, I don't have 10 minutes. Remember that, those moments? And he's like, I don't have 10 minutes. And I'm like, just wait 10 minutes. Like, it'll be okay. But of course, the way they set it up, he doesn't actually have 10 minutes. And backup's coming. And I started to get really into the moment. I'm like, no. Like, I'm, I actually got to the point of standing with my friends. And I'm now standing like, oh. And then there was a moment when I remembered As I was standing, watching the show, there was a moment I remembered that Jack Bauer just signed a three-year deal for three more seasons. (laughs) I was watching like season three. They're presently on Monday nights doing season six. You know what that means? He's gonna make it. (laughs) Do you wanna know what I literally did? I sat down and was like, He's going to win. And of course, you know what he does? That goes in there. Pew, pew, pew. It's so good. And um, he, he, he saved the day and made it to the next season. And the reason I bring it up is that when you know the future, it changes how you live in the now. When you know the future and you reflect, when your heart's in the future, it changes how you live in the now. So Jesus looks at you and goes, when it comes to your money, invest heavenly because your heart follows your money and Jesus cares about your heart because he knows that worry and that stress that you just thought was normal and you haven't actually considered that freedom is possible he goes invest heavenly your heart will follow. And it's not even just your heart. He goes on, verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. A lot of commentators have difference of opinions of what this means, but as I continue to study it, I think that what it is is a metaphor, because he's still talking about money. He's about to go into money yet again. So if money is the metaphor, then what he's saying is, He's referencing a healthy eye. Eye is the way light is let into our body. If your eye is healthy, he's talking about our posture towards money. In other words, if you're generous, your whole body will be full of light. And I think you've probably experienced this, like like Sean just shared, when you give something, have you noticed it is actually better to give than to receive? Harvard did a study in 2008, and what they found is that people would have an amount of money and they would either spend it on themselves or give it away, spend it on someone else. And the statistics showed that the people who gave it away were happier. There's something that happens. This is also just a literal truth. When you are generous, it says this, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, in other words, if your posture towards money is stingy, if you are stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What he's getting at there is if you think that you are generous, yet you're actually stingy, how great is that darkness? See, self-deception is incredibly scary. And what he's getting at is how great is, the dark, how great is the darkness of people who think they have figured out how to find security both in God and in money. Anxiety makes sense. But let me also say this, generosity has the power to lower anxiety because in being generous, you're quite literally growing your faith. 
next to actually sharing your faith, generosity is the next act of demonstrating it. And Jesus is saying, be so careful because it affects all of you. How you're using it affects all of you. And a lot of us have gone, oh, okay, so yeah, 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 I find my security in God alone and I just have enough. And I'm just going to think about making sure that I have enough. But the truth is greed has one sermon and it just preaches it over and over. And this is the sermon of greed. Just a little more. The word more. More. Better. Just a little, a little more. And that is why Jesus continues. Verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. It gets real blunt here. You cannot, I repeat, cannot serve both God and money. Anyone who divides their devotion between God and money has already given it to money. Money is one of two things. Either it is a master or it's a servant. It's one of the two things. Either it masters you or it's a means to serve God. Or it's a means. And the problem with it being a master is loving God is one of the greatest, most powerful ways that we actually are threatened in our ability to fulfill Jesus's greatest commandment of loving God and loving others. But when it's a servant, when it becomes a means, using money as a means to serve God and others makes it meaningful because it can be used for really wonderful things. And of course, it's terrible when it becomes your master. So where do you start? What do you do? Jesus, after he discusses worry, he gets real specific when he says this. Chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom. Let's get that slide back up there. The five things we can do and who it's for. Here's what Jesus says here in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom kingdom, what he's doing is he's saying this, flip it. And that's why I love this series, because for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like to live like that. And we're going to get real specific and real practical. What does it look like to live Jesus's words? Because he doesn't stop there. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I'm not about to stand up here and say prosperity gospel ever. Following God will make you rich. No. Just rich in a different way. But I will, I have to say this. I have to read Malachi 3.10. Listen to the words of God. I love this. In the scriptures, there's only one place where God says this. Test me. And it's here. Bring the whole house, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. This is God speaking. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not even be enough room to store it. (laughs) Hey, church, test them. My friend and I went back and forth on, how do you think his tone is? Because it's so not ours, you know? 
My, my, my tone when I read that, if I'm the Lord's like this, test me, do it. She's like, no, he's kinder. I'm like, you're right. He's so other, he's so holy, unlike me. But he says it, test me in this. So how do we do this? So you got two treasures, treasure, you either treasure earth or you treasure heaven. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven. You have two eyes, either a generous eye or you have a stingy eye. And then you have two masters, either you serve God or serve money. If you try to serve both, you're serving money. How in the world do we do this? How do you treasure heaven? How do you become generous? How do you serve God? And I'll tell you this, it's very simple. We look at Jesus. Because Jesus, I I feel so honored to be able to share this with you. It's like the best. You ready? Jesus had all the treasure, all the status, all the security in heaven. He had it all. Yet, why did he come to earth? There must have been something on earth so meaningful, something he treasured so much so that he was willing to leave it all behind, and he did. Born in a manger into poverty. How do I know? Because at his circumcision, his parents gave an offering of two pigeons. A two-pigeon offering was actually the poorest of the poor offering. Born into poverty, homeless, buried in a borrowed tomb. Why? Because he treasured you. That's why. Mother's Day three years ago, I brought up my then three-year-old on stage and sang the blessing that I gave to him if you were here. The verse I'm going to bring up now is my present blessing for my youngest son. Paul prays two times in the book of Ephesians. The second one is the one where he prays like, just know how loved they are. The first one is this. Paul prays and it says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart, notice all the language, see if it kind of imitates this passage. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance, the riches of Jesus's inheritance, what he receives is this. In his holy people, Jesus' riches, his inheritance is you. So every night to my youngest son, forgive me for my voice, is this. May God give you wisdom and revelation so that you might know him more. May the eyes of your heart forever, Jeb, be open so that you may hope in the Lord. And then I end like this, and he knows how to sing it too. And may you become his reward. You see, when you look to Jesus and you see that he died with nothing to not just, be, not just because you're his treasure, but also to offer you eternal treasure in heaven. You can begin to treasure him and be free because money just becomes money. It's suddenly just, it's not a treasure anymore. It's not a means for safety and security. It's just a means See, when Jesus brings meaning into your life, he becomes your treasure, and then your treasure, your money, though, becomes a means to treasure Jesus. 
Do you see it? Church, when the world dazzles you with self-indulgent, two-scoop living, this week, might you consider God, consider others, and then enjoy whatever is in front of you because it's all his and it's all from him anyways. Let's pray. Will you pray with me? And would you even open your hands, modeling opening of your heart? God, this is personal. So I pray right now that they would see your heart toward theirs. And slowly, and in your way, Lord, so kindly, show us another way. And get us excited about this week and what's possible for your kingdom, we pray. And all God's children said, amen.